it really became a, a goal of mine to, to make it the best converting site possible. And with that came speed, design, and uh, really just trust. Hey, my name is Felix Satia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn why you should read product reviews when designing a new product, how to address people when they say that they can get the same product for free, and how to change your ads if the buyers of your product are actually different than the end user. Today, I'm joined by Chris Gronkowski from Ice Shaker. Ice Shaker is the ultimate cup used for every aspect of a healthy lifestyle and has done $3 million in sales and was started in 2016 and based out of South Lake, Texas. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, excited to have you on. So you told us that you're a former NFL player and had a, and had a great social media following, but that means nothing when you try to sell a product no one has ever heard of before. So tell us a little more about this. Like, why Were you able to leverage any of that experience or any of that kind of background? Oh, man. So... Yeah, that's that was kind of an eye opener for me when uh, I first started posting and really trying to push product through social media. I had a decent following from playing, uh, from being an athlete, from being an NFL player. But when it came down to it, I thought it'd be pretty easy to throw a couple posts up, get a bunch of sales, and that was the exact opposite of what happened. So, uh, brand new product, you're on top of the world. You think it's the best thing ever. But your customers, people out there have never heard of it before, aren't just going to jump on the bandwagon just because you think it's cool, just because they follow you. You really have to build some kind of proof of concept, some kind of reviews, and um, really start building a brand before you actually are able to sell a product, no matter how big your following is. Got it. So even though you have a brand, a personal brand, it's not good enough. You might be might give you the kind of opportunity to present yourself, but you still need to have a product that is uh, some that people want or that that needs. You need to be solving some type of problem. So talk to us through this. Like, what was the original idea behind the product? Like, what problem were you trying to solve? Yeah. So the the idea of the product came about on a hot day in Texas. So I was out of the NFL at that time. I was continuing to work out every single day. And when I'd go to the gym, I'd get my own, I'd get a shaker bottle, you know, I'd make a pre-workout or something like that to bring to the gym with me. And by the time I got there, you know, it would be warm. My bottle smelled awful. And I was actually making uh, designs out of the sweat rings that were coming off the bottle on the gym floor. <laughs> and that's kind of when the, the idea hit me was, you know, why isn't there something better out there on the market? You know, some kind of bottle that you know, not only can I bring to the gym, but then also use all day, every day. So I went on a search and uh, got home that day, you know, went on Amazon, uh, you know, went on on Google, figured that I'd type it in and something would pop up. That's something I just hadn't seen yet. Kind of like every good idea that you think you have, you go online and, and there it is. But uh, I went home that day, I looked everywhere and there was nothing on the market that was insulated with a shaker top on it. So it's when the idea hit me. And uh, at that that point, I said, I'm going to make the best shaker bottle that I possibly can make. Got it. And you do also mention to us that, that you also have to kind of test this before you, you jump all the way in. So once you saw that you had a problem and you couldn't find the solutions out there for it, did you first start to test it? Like, how did you know that there were other people out there that were searching for this product or that had this problem? 
Yeah, so for me, uh, first I had to make it. That that was that was the hard part. Uh, first I had to figure out exactly what people wanted, um, the material I wanted to make it out of. And so I went with uh, a kitchen grade stainless steel. Uh, I knew that one of the issues with the shaker bottles that everyone knew, if you were a user of a shaker bottle, you're making protein shakes, everyone knows that if you leave protein in them, they're going to smell absolutely awful. And so I wanted to get a material right from the get-go. I knew that was a big problem that was going to you know, solve this issue. So the kitchen grade stainless won't absorb the odor like the plastic shaker bottle does. So even if you leave protein in there, it's going to smell no matter what because it's going to rot after a couple of days. But with the stainless steel, you can pretty much just rinse it with water and that smell's gone. So first had to figure out really what I was looking for in the product. Uh, went from that. There was other stainless steel bottles on the market. So I did a lot of research on that to see why these weren't successful. And the other shaker bottles on the market that were stainless steel, they weren't insulated. So when you put cold in them, stainless steel is actually a conductor. So they were absolutely freezing cold, a lot colder than a plastic shaker bottle would and would sweat even more. So besides that, though, the reviews were pretty good about the fact that they were stainless steel and they weren't absorbing the odor like the, like the plastic ones were. So really put those two together, figured out, make something that was vacuum insulated, that was going to hold ice for a long time, wasn't going to sweat. And then pretty much looked at every other product out there, their reviews to see what other people wanted, what they're looking for, and try to put together a product from that. So started getting prototypes made, get them sent in, and really just settled on a, a bottle that wasn't the greatest at the time, but would help me figure out if there was a demand for this product. So our very first bottle came out and uh, we had it shipped in small quantities. At that point, it was just all about testing the market and trying to figure out if people actually wanted this product or not. Got it. So you mentioned a couple of things there, which is around looking at reviews. I think this is important because you're doing this kind of research before you, you, you dove in so that you can at least get some of the ideas behind what features are important to your your target customers. Where were you looking for these reviews and what specifically were you looking for? Like positive things, negative things? Like what was what was like the what did you find most helpful? So I was looking uh, I was looking everywhere. So you can find anywhere you can find reviews, but for the most part, the ones that are going to be the most accurate are usually on Amazon. And what I was looking for, for the most part, was just the negative reviews to see what people didn't like so that I could then fix that issue. So I'd go on and really look at um, it. But I, I would also read the positive as well to see what people really enjoyed about the product. So when I was looking at other stainless steel shaker bottles out there already, you know, I, I liked looking at the positive and seeing that people were commenting about the stainless saying that it was a lot better than having a plastic bottle and then on the same i'll look at that same product i'd look at the negative reviews and see that people were complaining about the fact that it wasn't insulated that it was freezing cold when they put ice in it so really both the positive and the negative reviews are huge indicators of what people like and what they don't like so definitely look at both of them to get a better idea of what customers really find important in a product Got it. So it sounds like you obviously have to combine both the positive and negative uh, feedback with these reviews into the, your new design, your new product. And the positives are things that are almost like must-haves. So you have to kind of come to the table with these things. And the negatives are things that you can improve in and are kind of like the, the value add or the the core value proposition that you're bringing to the table. And that, that sounds like basically what you're able to piece together. So now that you have this idea of the product that you want to build, what were the steps to, it sounds like you guys released the 
first version slash almost like a prototype at first. Did you know that that's what it was at first, or did you feel like you almost had like a finished product at the, at that time when you got that first initial small order? No, at the, at the time, you know, we thought it was a. I thought it was a finished product. I thought it was pretty good uh, at the time. Uh, looking back now, it's it's funny because we've made so many improvements since then. But no, it it was the final version. Uh, we put it out there, and from that we just took the customer feedback and continued to improve the product. So anytime we had a, a bad review, I was, I was reading anytime we had a good review and I was reading them, but I was really trying to figure out what customers wanted. And we tried to move as fast as we possibly could after we really got some decent feedback from our first couple thousand bottles that sold. So uh, anytime someone mentioned something and we encouraged it as well, uh, we would, we would send out emails asking people for their feedback, asking them, if there was anything that we could do better, any other features that they'd like to see. And we collected this data to then make immediately make a, a version two and get it out before we actually aired on uh, on Shark Tank. So within the first year, we we already had made a second bottle and uh, and released it as well. Awesome. So when you were selling, when you got that first that the first run, that first uh, order that came in, and you started to test see if there's a band, where were you selling? Were you selling on your own side? Or were you selling on another marketplace? Like what's the best way to kind of get started? To to because you're you're in a stage where it sounded like you 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 felt like you had a finished product, but you were still very much testing. So looking back, like how would you set up the 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 test differently if you if you were to do it all over again? So yeah, I mean it was. Um... I guess I'll put more into product development. And, and if I went back, I would have tested it by sending out free product to, to more people and uh, really getting it to people's hands first before making a, a big run or, or a decent run or even, you know, finalizing on the molds on, on the product because it's so hard to, to see what other people are seeing. And, and when you look at it from your own perspective, you think it's great. And every one of your, your friends around you are going to pretty much tell you that it's great. But it's really once you get it out into the public that you really start seeing the flaws or start seeing the stuff that you could have done that people really like. So after that, uh, our, our third our third uh, version that we just released, when we brought in the lids for it, uh, we sent out, we brought in just the lids and um, we sent them to over 500 customers before we actually started putting that lid on our bottles. We really wanted to get the feedback from them, make sure there's absolutely no flaws in our newest line of lids with our 2019 launches and um and if there was any issues we wanted to change it before we started mass producing it so really learned that as we went on to to really test it by having putting it into into customers hands before making final decisions on on product designs right so 500 customers and these were for the this, this 2019 version these were existing customers so it was um it was customers that had bought from us or were having issues with their their current lid that they had, so we were then replacing them for free with a what we thought was a better version, which ended up being a lot better version that everyone absolutely loves now. So, yeah, we, anyone that had an issue in the past or any type of issue going forward, we were just sending them new lids for free to really test out and give us feedback on them and, and see if there was anything that we can improve with it before we put it into mass production. 
Got it. So when you were first starting out, you, it sounded like you were taking the same approach, but I'm assuming you didn't have really any customers at that point, but you wanted to give it out for free to get that feedback. How are you finding the right people to to give it to? Like, how do you find, because you know, in the feed, like you mentioned, the feedback from friends and family, it might be different than, than the, the public, right? The people that, that don't know you that are, you know, strange essentially, their feedback is going to be different than people that, that know you. So how do you make sure you get the product into the right people's hands, especially early on when you don't have a customer base yet? Yeah, that was the hardest part. Uh, really launching a product from ground up, you have nothing to go off of. You don't have an email list or customers in the past to, to really build on. So what we had to do was just start doing shows. We had to go to, uh, started with just smaller bodybuilding shows and we'd go and set up a booth and we're able to get the product in front of people, show them the difference between what ours was, what was already out on the market, put it in their hands. Uh, really, once they felt it and, and they saw the difference, we started getting movement on the product. But before that, it, it was it was so hard because people had no clue what it was. And so finding them, really, you just have to go out there, set up a booth, put it in front of people. I mean, we were hawking people down just to get them over, over to the booth at first. But that's what you have to do. And, and then you have to see their reaction in person as well because – a true, a true reaction is going to be the, the first immediate reaction to a product. So once we started putting it in their hands and they were seeing the difference between what we had and what was on the market, they were surprised by it. And most people were then buying right on the spot. And that's kind of when we knew that we had something that people wanted. Got it. So this is, I think, an important point is that when I ask you that question, a lot of people might be thinking, oh, where do you go online to find the right people? You're saying go in person, go to where people are hanging out in person and then gauge their reaction that way. So when someone comes up to the booth, they're, they, you, you, how, how does that work? Because like you're you know, presenting them the product, do you kind of approach them as if you're trying to sell it and see if they'll buy it? Or how do you, how do you get the right data, I guess, from when you, when, if someone wants to repeat this process by setting a booth at some kind of show that is in their industry? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, we went in and we had no, no, I had no clue what to expect at, at the first booth. I was hoping just this, if we sold 20, 20 bottles, it would be a lot. And um, I think that first show, we ended up selling 50 to 80 of them, something like that. But it was a good enough amount that I actually went back mm -hmm. to, a, I had to have my wife go back to our house and get more product. So we actually did a lot better than we thought. So uh, really, that's that's all we were looking for was you know, that, that reaction where people are going to actually buy it. So if we gave them the pitch, were they just going to go, Hey, that's a really cool idea. And then walk away. Or are they going to say, Hey, that's a, I love this product. You know, let me buy one right here, right now. So that's kind of how we gauged if it was successful. I, I, I would probably say that in person, it gives you a good read because you see the people, but a lot of people also fold, fold the pressure in person, especially if you're a good salesman. So you're really going to get, uh, the, the people, the haters really to come out and really give you an honest opinion online when they're sitting behind a computer and not mm -hmm. facing you, you know, face to face. So uh, another great indication of of how the product's doing, what needs to be fixed, all that is is getting reviews online, which we used Amazon at first to really uh, to really help us out because we didn't have that customer base. And and this is something that I, I, I really and I've talked to people about in the past and, and recommend doing is using another platform's customer base to get started because you really have nothing to work off of at all. I mean, you're, you're at ground zero, you have no customer base, you have nothing. So if you're able to use someone else's just to get you started, 
it's a huge help. And so we did use Amazon early on. Majority of our sales came from Amazon and all the reviews on there as well really help launch the product and give us trust in our brand. Got it. So when you are doing this pitch uh, in person, do you remember what was the pitch? What were the kind of key features or key, I guess, what value that you wanted to get across about your product? And is that pitch the same these days? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, so we take a, we take what else was on the market at the time. So an uninsulated stainless bottle and we fill it with ice. We take a plastic bottle and, you know, we fill it with ice and we take another plastic bottle and, you know, we fill it with, uh, with protein and uh, let it sit for a couple of days and, uh, and tell people not to open it because it smells so bad. But um, once we filled ours with ice and, and we hand it to people and say, hey, check this out. Ours has ice in it and I'll hold this one. And the one next to it, it would be freezing, would be sweating. There'd be condensation everywhere. And people were so impressed that they would actually say, there's no way there's ice in your bottle. And they'd take the lid off and they'd check and see if there's actually ice in it. And, it, you know, of course, it was, it was real ice in it. But uh, at that point, it was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, this is absolutely awesome. I need to have it. So same pitch all the way today. Um, our first bottle was, was very basic. We have so many more features on our newest bottle. So the pitch just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I, I like this approach because you're not you're not using words so much to sell it. Like you're demonstrating in front of them why your product is superior to the competing products out there. Absolutely, and, and that's and that's absolutely huge. Once we actually put the bottle in somebody's hands, it was hard for them to say no because it was so superior to what else was on the market at the time. Got. It. Do you remember how much you were selling for for uh, those bottles at that time? And is it the same price point as today? So we were selling our very first version. We were selling at twenty four ninety nine, and so we do sell our bottles for more now. So uh, once we added some some extended features onto the bottles, uh, we did raise the price up to thirty dollars. Got it. Uh, did, did, people, did ever like cross people's mind where okay twenty four twenty four twenty five dollars like you know I, I get this like for free you know by buy like you know uh, my protein and everything does it that come across people's minds? Do you ever have to approach and find out how to, how to address that kind of objection? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, that that's a problem that we were running into early on, and especially when we we're trying to get into retail uh, stores like GNC, which we actually are now in um, thirty five hundred GNCs. But um, yeah, that was, that was the first thing that came across every time. You know, why am I going to buy your shaker? It's so much more expensive when I'm getting them for free. And really, to combat combat that, it was you know we showed them all the features, we showed them how awesome it was, but we compared our bottle not to other shaker bottles, but to other bottles on the market that are, are similar to it. So stuff like a Yeti or a Hydro Flask mm -hmm. where you know, these are vacuum insulated, kitchen grade stainless steel, and they're actually a lot more expensive than our bottle and have less features than ours do. So when people said that, we had to kind of redirect them and, and get away from the fact that it's not just for the gym. I mean, everyone thinks it's a shaker bottle. I can only use it for the gym. It's really the ultimate bottle that can be used all day for everything that was really the purpose of it when i made it was hey i love this you know, i love to bring it to the gym but you know, obviously I'm using a bottle for work and then going to the gym using another bottle you know and then going home and something else it was really just a, a bottle used for everything all day every day or could also be used at the gym so it uh once we got that into people's minds and, and really compared it to something like a, a yeti they saw that this actually had more value 
It was actually a better price than what's actually comparable to what it is. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. So you do change the kind of product that is that your product is as anchored to. You don't you don't compare it to the free product. You compare it to a a more expensive product that's on a market that is you know superior to the free product. But then you're also now showing that your product is giving more value because it has the same features plus more. That that's that's a great point. So you mentioned that you use Amazon at first to kind of get things off the ground and to get those that review and to get that kind of credibility by having reviews. Talk to us about that. Like, how did you set up your your Amazon business? Like, how were you able to get those early customers? Like, where how did they discover you guys on Amazon? Yeah, that's that's actually um, that was a, that was a challenge. I mean, when you first go on to to any. Uh, platform, it, it's tough, and you have to kind of figure out and navigate the the rules of, of that platform. And um, I had some experience with this with our our first business that we had. Actually, my wife started a, a business while I was still playing in the NFL, and it started through Etsy. And it started the same way, kind of as as Eichiger did, and I kind of followed the same path where she didn't have a customer base at first. She used Etsy to help really get it going to get customers and. Uh, the first thing we ran into was, you know, how do I make a good listing that people are going to actually click on? And how do I get to the top of the first page was the really the main challenge. So this all came into play as well on Amazon, same exact thing. You know, and, and what I did was, and, and the only thing I could think of was, hey, why why are these other ones on the front of the front page for Shaker Bottle? And so all I did was I went through every listing you know, the top, the top three listings, top five listings, whatever it was on the front page for the terms that I was trying to rank for. And I tried to figure out why they were there and why I wasn't there. And so I look through it, look at pictures, uh, really look at the keywords, look at the descriptions, look how everything was done on the listing. And then I tried to kind of duplicate what the best ones were doing and test it to see if I would then get boosted up, you know, in, in the rankings on, on the, on Google's and, uh, or on Amazon search. So just kept doing that until finally I was on that front page. And once I was on that front page, that's when things started to pick up. Yeah, there's so many variables though, right? Like you mentioned all the, the, the product description, the, the title, the pictures. There's so many things that you could that, that you could see on a, a on a product that, that is listed on the top. How did you know which ones to pick out? How did you set up your test so that you weren't just kind of running around with your head cut off? Because there's so many different things you could try to fix or change. Yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy now because even now when I try to, we, I do a new product, uh, I can't even, it, it's always changing too. And, and it gets more and more complicated as the years go on. But when I did it then, it, it, it seemed to be a lot easier you change something or you add a couple keywords and, and you'd add them in, in the title and then the description. And all of a sudden you're on the front page for that term. And, uh, same with just, just images that I thought helped a lot too. Whereas, you know, if you had good images and, and they were clean, they'd look good. And then you had really good supporting images with it to really show people a full 360 degree view of the product. It seemed to really, really help and also boost your ratings and really keep people on that page, which I think bumped up the algorithm. But, uh, really was looking at the, the top top two and saying, hey, I'm going to pretty much copy what they're doing on how they're writing descriptions and photos and stuff like that and see if it works. 
and for the most part, it, it, it worked for us, and, and that was that was it. But like I said, I think the algorithm every every year gets harder and harder to figure out, and um, we are still launching and putting new products out uh, every week. We actually just launched a product this week, a thirty six ounce bottle, but it's not on on Amazon yet. But when we try to put it on, it will be a challenge to kind of try to get it onto that front page. Yeah, I like that approach. I respect that approach where you're not just trying to make all these tweaks and invent the process yourself. Just look at what's working and copy it. Like do it the way that they did it. And of course, you want to 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 add on to that by 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 pointing out you know you, the difference between your product versus theirs. But you know, rather than trying to carve your own path, like find out what's working and just do what 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 they did. So you you mentioned that uh, I'm not sure how much you, could, you, you were able to do this in person, but you mentioned that your most 2019 version of the bottle you sent out for free to 500 customers, and you were wanting to gather feedback. Like, what's the best way to? How do you gather feedback when you are putting out a product out there to test? Like, what kind of questions are you asking to get the right kind of feedback? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, you're you, we want to go out there and and when you give it free, it's kind of tough because. You want you want an honest opinion. So uh, most of the time, when you give someone something free, they're going to tell you it's great. And so you really want to dig down and, and ask them. And, and what's cool is that when we were sending it to these people, they were people that were having issues with the previous one, and they were they were outspoken about it and let us know. So I knew they were, they would be good people to test the newest and better better lid with. So uh, I think because of that reason, I I was getting really honest opinions back about it, and. Um, so that that was definitely a good way to do it. But uh, other ways to do it is is you can offer both, um, and that's also something that we did a little bit. Was we would send both versions of it, and we did this with with straws. Actually, um, we we're having some issues with with stainless steel straws that we we're selling with our tumblers, where some customers were just saying it made their drink taste like metal. Uh, some were saying it was really noisy. Some people were saying it was dangerous. Uh, whereas they were drinking, and they would uh, you know they would put it into their mouth too fast and it would hit their tooth and, and stuff like that, or just get really hot with hot drinks. So we brought in uh, a, a Triton straw that was really durable, shatterproof, was made for hot and cold drinks. And um, we, we tested that out. So we sent them both. We started bringing in product with both. And when they purchased, we didn't even tell them uh, that it was coming with both. We just send it out. And then we follow up with them and say, Hey, um, we know you received our, our version of the product with both straws. Can you tell us which one you like better? And so from that, we were able to figure out that well, people like the idea of the stainless steel straw because they felt like it was more expensive and it, it and just um, it was it was a cleaner version. But when they actually used both, people were actually liking the Triton, which is a is a form of plastic. They were liking it better, but they weren't buying it just because they thought the plastic was cheaper, even though it really wasn't. Uh, this, this is a, an upgraded plastic. It actually cost us the same price, but people just had this, this opinion that, you know, stainless steel straw is a better straw. It's going to be more expensive. Then at the end of the day, once we actually tested it, uh, everyone liked the, the, the Triton plastic straw better. So we actually switched over our product to that because of the issues that we were having with the stainless steel. So that's just another, uh, Another great way to really test the market and see what people actually like better. 
that, that's going to be a big challenge, right? Where you are, you have two kind of versions of, of the same products. One people have higher perceived value for and uh, might pay more or might be more willing to buy, but it's a, a weaker product. They're not as happy with it compared to the, the product that is not perceived as, 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 as valuable. So how do you kind of like address that in your own mind? Because I, it seems like the, 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 Steel, the I guess metallic one is going to be a better representation. Like it's going to be easier to market, right? People are more willing to buy that one, but it's not as as good of a price. How do you kind of justify that in your head? Like which direction you want to go? <laughs> it, it, it was a challenge for sure, and um, it, it really came down to the fact that you know some people, a lady chipped her tooth on on a stainless steel straw. It really came down to just being you know um, a safety concern for us, and um, so we had. I, after we tested as well and everyone liked the, the Triton straw better, what we had to do was just, we had to educate people on why we were changing it. So we ended up shooting out email blast. Uh, we ended up putting the straw in a big description, uh, why we were now selling it with the Triton straw. And then we did also leave the stainless steel straw available on our site for purchase at a cheap price. So we, we put it on the site for a dollar, I think a dollar 25 maybe is what it was. And we gave people the option to still buy it, but really highlighted the fact to why we changed it so that they would know that it wasn't something that we just did to save money because that was kind of the, right. the, the, the reason people thought we were switching. But we really had to, to drive the point home that this is a better product. We're always taking your advice. We're taking your feedback and we're trying to improve. And so by doing that, people then saw that and Really, once people that were rebuying were getting the new straw, they were actually thanking us for making a better product. Right, I think that that's that's the key, right? The, the education piece, because you might be able to sell more of a a, a you know inferior product, but in the end, it's not going to be uh, the longevity is not going to be there. If you aren't going to be happy with it, they're not going to you know repeat buy from you. They're not going to evangelize your product. So I think. You you go with you always go with the superior product, the product that is going to make the customer experience better once they actually have their hands on your product, and then educate them why you're doing it that way, even though the product might be perceived initially as a you know a weaker product. So I think I think that's exactly right. So you it sounds like you guys you know take this feedback is which is uh, feedback from the customers is really important to you guys, and you're able to act on it quickly. So how is your kind of like uh, manufacturing setup so that you, you can be so responsive and swap things in and out and read design your product so so frequently uh i mean it's it's tough it, it really it, it is because every time we do it uh we have to then get rid of the old stock and then we also you know we have to make make the molds and pay the tooling fees and and then test the product and so it's it's not easy but we know that that's what's gonna you know that's how we're gonna survive is if we continue to improve if we continue to give our customers what we want so uh, that's really been the life of the story and, and has taken us from one product, uh, really just a little over a year ago, just one bottle, a uh, 26 ounce bottle. And maybe I think at that time we had a couple different color variations, but just from uh, what people were looking for, we've really expanded and now have over, now have over, we have six different bottles and over 80 different SKUs at this time. But um, really all that was driven from what customers are looking for. Uh, they're asking for if they're asking for a smaller bottle, larger bottle, uh, different colors, all that. We really keep in mind and are able to bring them in and and, uh, and act on them as, as soon as we collect enough data. So 
if if people are constantly asking for the same thing, you know, that's easy to really bring in and 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 uh, and get it going. But um, we're also then trying to look at our own data and say, hey, what what are we missing? And and that was one of the biggest things that we brought in was was a tumbler, and we brought it in because looking at our data, we realized that most of the people buying our product were women. And uh, we didn't think that was going to be the case. I thought it was going to be guys around my age that were buying it. But we figured out uh, early on that it was mostly women buying the product and they were buying it for their husbands or their kids or their grandkids. And we realized really quick that they were buying, they weren't buying anything for themselves. So we brought in the tumblers, uh, was was our, our third bottle. We brought in, first we had the 26 ounce, we brought in the 16 ounce. We were having a lot of requests for a smaller shaker bottle. And then uh, we brought in the tumblers right away because we realized that we were missing out on that whole demographic uh, of, of the women that were purchasing, but weren't purchasing anything for themselves. So use that data to bring it in and, and realized that the tumblers immediately became a, a home run for us and really became a, a really, really good seller. So you are tracking the, the data and the feedback. What's the, what's the system you have set up? Like how do you kind of, uh, uh, have a cohesive view on everything because it sounds like it's coming from different angles, right? People are telling you maybe in person or sending emails or, you know, they're leaving reviews. There's just like data that you're observing from traffic on your site. Like how do you collect all of this and make a decision? So one of, uh, which was, it was kind of uh, something that, that I stumbled upon was the fact that you could take emails from actual purchase emails and you could then put them into Facebook at the time. And so with that, Facebook was actually going to find these, these people that purchased from you, find their profiles, and then that you would be able to look at the whole, the whole breakdown of who was purchasing from you. And this was before the whole, uh, the whole privacy acts that went, mm-hmm. that went into effect recently. But, um, yeah, it really, it would break down your demographics. It was, it was crazy. The, the amount of information that they had, but Obviously, uh, you know, male versus female, um, you know, household income, you know, where they lived, uh, where they worked, the websites they liked, all that kind of stuff. How many people were in their house, uh, education levels, feedback, at the, you know, Facebook at the time was giving you all of this. And so that was a great way for us early on to really figure out who was purchasing from us. So I think it was around our first 10,000 to 15,000 purchases we then put that back into Facebook and really broke down exactly who was buying from us. So that data at the time was was absolutely huge because it was really hard for us to really figure out who was actually buying the product. And, and once we saw that and, and saw the breakdown, that's immediately when we knew that we had to bring in a product that was more geared towards women. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's um, an interesting problem to have where the women are buying the product, but they're buying for someone else at that time. How did you, so you introduced a new product to kind of address this, this customer base. Um, but if you wanted to continue selling your, your existing product, how do you change up your marketing if the buyer is different than the end user? I don't think you really need to. Uh, you can actually, we actually played upon that. Uh, we changed some of the ads to be, and, and we knew what was working, but more geared towards women. Um, we went to marketplaces like Pinterest, uh, that was, that was heavily favored with women. And we, we used similar ads and what we did was we played more towards the gifting market instead of, uh, trying to sell directly yeah. to them. We were really selling it as a play on, you know, a holiday or a birthday or 
or some kind of gifting item. So all the ads started kind of to turn towards that instead of a direct sale to them. Got it. So the Tumblr was a product that you introduced to to sell to the, the buyer that is also going to be the end user? Yes, yeah. So with that, we did we did directly target uh, the end user, the women, with, with all the Tumblr ads. But um, the Shaker Bottle ads, we would gear them more towards gifting uh, if we were targeting the, the the women market, can you can you give some examples of that? Like, what do, what what would an ad look like or an ad campaign look like if it was to target more of the gifting market? Yeah, what's really cool about our website is uh, we're actually able to personalize each and every bottle. So we do laser engrave the bottles in house. Uh, you come on the site, you can put whatever you like—a logo, name, uh, a saying, anything like that. So. Uh, a lot of the times in some of the ads that we run, we'll actually put an engraving on there that is geared towards a birthday or a Valentine's Day. We had a, we did like swole mate ones, um, like I love you more, stuff like that, where we'd actually have it pre-made, pre-designed on the bottle. And then we'd shoot out, um, you know, the, the emails or, or whatever the marketing was to really gear it towards the gifting market. God, I, I love that, that you kind of take the step for them to say, hey, look, this is presentable as is as a gift already. So I think that that's, um, it makes it a lot easier for, for someone to, to to see why they might want to buy this as a gift. So let's talk about your, your Shark Tank experience. So tell us first, how did you guys get on the show? Absolutely. Yeah, I had, um, it actually all came about 2013. I was still playing ball and I had an email from my agent at the time. It was actually said, hey, uh, you know, the, the producers from Shark Tank are looking for any former players or active players that have a really good idea, business that they would like to pitch on the show. And so uh, at the time, you know, I, I loved the show. I watched it all the time. And I said, hey, man, that's, that's really cool. I have absolutely nothing. I'm still playing ball. But hopefully one day you know, I'll be able to come back to this email and, and use it. So Time went by, and I got out of football, went into my wife's business, was doing that. And then this idea came across my mind. And um, when I started producing it, it was kind of always in the back of my mind that, you know, I'm going to get this product on Shark Tank. So I went back. uh, Once we got the product produced, started selling it a little bit. I immediately went back to my old contacts. I found that email, emailed them, and got a response back and said uh, they, they no longer work there. So uh, from that, I then had to to find who I had to contact, and I did, and I was able to really uh, streamline the process. I still had to go through all the videos and, and send them all in and, and have a product that was actually worth it. But um, you know, hundreds of sheets of paper signed later and uh, some crazy videos that I was making of me you know, at the gym, ripping my shirt off, all kinds of stuff. And uh, you know, we had a, had, was told that we had a chance to go on. So uh, at that point, it was all about Hey, I have. Uh, I'm only going to be about six months in. Let's get the sales up as high as I possibly can, so that when I go on the show, it's somewhat presentable. So really, the goal was in the first six months was to get fifty thousand dollars worth of sales. And when I actually walked on the show to uh, to pitch, we had eighty thousand dollars in sales at the time. So uh, did a, did a pretty good job of the first six months of of getting sales, so that I could go on there and get a decent valuation. So what did you come into the show wanting? What was the deal you wanted? What did you end up walking away with? So when, we went on, uh, when I went on, I asked for $100,000 for 10%. So I was valuing it at a million dollars. And um, it, it was tough to, to, to evaluate the, the company being six months in, being so early in the game. 
But uh, I thought it was a pretty fair valuation at the time. And really what I was looking for was, you know, I was looking for the exposure and, and, and for the, the help, the marketing help. And, and, uh, and that's really what I got out of it. Got it. And so the deal you did was with was uh, was Mark Cuban. It was one of the the, the um, I guess the the investors as well as was there another investor on this deal too? Yeah. So we ended up uh, getting offers from all five sharks, and uh, at the end of the day, it came down to Mark Cuban and then Alex Rodriguez was a guest on the show. Uh, I think it was one of his first episodes. It might have been his first episode. I think it was actually. Uh, so he was a guest on the show and. Um, they both wanted to come in together. They bumped it up to 15%. I got them down. Actually, I think they wanted 20. I got them down to 15% for uh, for 150K. So I got the valuation that I was looking for. I uh, lost a little more equity that I was hoping for. But um, at the end of the day, I got two guys that were in the sports market. We have we now had the NBA, you know, the MLB, and, and, and the NFL experience behind us. So really gave us huge credibility in the sports world to have both of them on the ice shaker team. That's amazing. What is it like to work with, with them then? Like these days when you like, how do you, it sounded like you wanted to get a show for the exposure, but then also just have these people to call, right? These people in your network, you know, Mark Cuban, Alex Rodriguez in your network. So how do you, how's it play to, how does it come to your, your advantage now when you're running the business? Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. Uh, being in Dallas with, with Mark and his team has been awesome. Um, I'm doing stuff with them a lot because of how close we are. And um, a lot of it comes down to, to panels and, and, and doing speaking engagements, stuff like that. But um, networking is, is absolutely huge. Mark has built out a team of, of multiple people that help. Their main job is just to help all his, his Shark Tank investments. He has so many now over the years, uh, over 10 years of, of Shark Tank. I believe it's it's at least 80. It's probably over 100 different companies that he's invested in. And these people are there really, really just to help. So if I have any questions, if I need any help with anything, uh, they're there to help me. So they brought in uh, GNC early on. They helped walk me through the entire negotiations. Uh, still to this day, you know, we're on the phone trying to, trying to figure out you know, how we can work better with them, but still reaching out to uh, different retails, using their connections there and even just connecting me to other companies in their portfolio have been absolutely huge. If I have questions, uh, say, say about SEO or marketing or whatever it is, there's somebody in his portfolio that is really good at it. That's an absolute expert in it, and they're happy to connect me to them and you know speak to their their CEO or you know their head of marketing, whoever it is, for free. You know, it, just just out of good faith because we're under the same portfolio. Um, it's also helped with collaborations and, and getting, you know, giveaways and, and email blasts with other companies that are in a similar market space as me underneath the Mark Cuban portfolio. So that's been been absolutely huge for me, and uh, just keeps on, on leading to to new connections, you know, every 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 day. So uh, with with Alex, he's been pretty. Uh, it's been a lot different role because he doesn't have that same experience that Mark has. He doesn't have a team built out for you know, over a hundred Shark Tank companies uh, like, like Mark does. So uh, Alex is completely different, uh, really good at marketing um, and helping us get it out there. That way he's got us into a UFC gyms early on and he has the, the whole fitness background. True Fusion is another gym uh, that's really starting to take off that he's got us into. 
but always helping with uh, with events and, and stuff like that to promote the product and and that's definitely his strong point. Yeah. So any any like piece of uh, business advice that you got from either of them that was really important for for your growth, like things that maybe you never didn't realize until you heard it come out of their mouths. Can you think of anything like that? Oh uh, man, we don't so necessarily talk to talk to them um, in person very much. I'm I'm in communication with them through email for the most part, but um, for me, it's it's mostly talking to to the teams. I mean, these guys are especially Mark, just insanely busy, and for a seventy five thousand dollar investment to a billionaire, uh, he's not going to really jump on the phone with me and uh, and talk anything out, but. For big decisions, he's he's there, and um, I know we ran into uh, just some pricing issues, stuff like that. And uh, so I reached out to him and, and asked him what he thought. And within 15 minutes, you know, he's replying back to these emails, and and it's him replying back with a, with an honest opinion. And it's not going to be a long, detailed email. It's going to be really short and, and sweet. But he is there to help it and and give his advice. So. Uh, for someone with that much power and, and authority and, and that busy, it's extremely impressive that that he's still within 15 minutes answering to one of his you know hundred investment companies that he has. Yeah, I've actually spoken to another uh, Mark Cuban uh, investment company on the show, and they said the same thing that he will respond to an email any time of day. Almost seems like he'll get back to you if it's like a, a important question enough for you to reach out to him. What, what about the um? What would the results of being on the show in terms of exposure and, and traffic or sales to to the the store? Like how 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 big of a boost did it give you guys? Oh, uh, it's absolutely absolutely huge, and and we keep seeing that. I mean, it's it's you can't even measure it because it's still happening today. Um, just the initial push, the first two weeks w- was huge, and a lot of people not even necessarily just the first day. It really spans out to a whole week because a lot of people are recording it, they're watching it the next day, they're watching it through Hulu or, or other channels uh, that week. So every day, I still have people telling me, "Hey, I just I just saw you on Shark Tank. I just saw it for the first time yesterday. Whatever it was." and What's really cool is that we did have the update as well in November that highlighted how well we were doing after uh, the first year after airing. So we then got the boost from that as well. And now we're actually starting to do get the reruns from uh, from CNBC after the first year. They'll buy it out and they'll start rerunning the show as well. So every time it airs, it's a it's a huge boost to our website. Sometimes I don't even know until that day that it actually re-aired and all of a sudden our website just absolutely blowing up. So uh, that money that came in in the first two weeks, we sold out on Amazon actually within uh, the first 20 minutes. All the product on Amazon was gone. Um, but that, that money that came in the first two weeks, we just kept it and really helped us just absolutely expand the line quick, uh, fast, and efficiently. So the money from from all the sales plus the money from the actual investment went all back in to grow us from being a one bottle product uh, to really a, a, a company now with over 80 different products to offer. Amazing. So I will talk a little about the site um, at icesaker.com. So one cool thing that I seek is, and you mentioned this earlier about how you want to get the photos to give you a good 360 representation of the product. That's what I see, right? The very top is like a rotating image of uh, the bottle. Talk to us about the, the rest of the design of the site. Like what are some kind of conscious decisions that you guys made to improve the quality and conversion rates specifically of the site? Yeah, it, it, it was tough. Um, and something I really, when I first started, I didn't realize how important just speed was. 
And so the, the video at the top was a full length video. Uh, it's now been cut down. I think it's only four panels, but it, it looks like it's spinning. But at first it, it was just a full video and it was so slow that I'm sure it was absolutely killing our conversion rate. So stuff like that, that I had to learn early on. Uh, we built out this, we had, a, we had a company build out our site and I think it ended up being something like five grand. And I thought it was pretty cool, but the main features on it all worked on desktop, but they didn't work on mobile. And at the time, I didn't think it was a huge deal. I didn't think that many people bought off their phone, but realized really, really quick that I was probably one of the few that didn't buy off their phone at the time. And, and I'm sure that number just keeps getting higher and higher of how many mobile users there are that are just purchasing only on their phone. But um, we had to completely redo the website after that once we realized that you know 80 to 90% of our traffic was mobile and, and our best features are all only being shown on desktop and on mobile, they don't look that great. So uh, yeah, it really became a, a goal of mine to, to make it the best converting site possible. And with that came speed, design, and uh, really just trust. I think trust is a, is a huge factor for a website now because people, if they don't trust it, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to run to Amazon where they know they can return the product at any time. They know it's going to be there in, in two days or they're going to get their money back. So how are you going to compete with that? And the only way to do that is to offer them a better experience on your website. So we're able to do that uh, in a couple of ways. First, the trust factor. Uh, second, you know, we're, we're able to offer them a different variety of product than we offer on Amazon. So we don't offer our full line on there. Uh, and, and we offer better pricing and we offer free shipping and fast turnaround as well. Uh, we always jack up our pricing on Amazon to really cover for the fact that we're getting hit by big fees and, and we also want to protect our, our website. So we always charge a little bit more on Amazon because of that reason. And then with the site, uh, just really how can we get people to trust it? And that's where different apps and, and review systems come in that have been really helpful for us. Can you speak about those? What, what kind of apps have you added to the site? So right early on, uh, we, we went with a you know, review uh, app called Yapo. Uh, they came in and they they do a great job. And it's it's more than just reviews. I mean, it's there's going to be if you go on our site, there's probably two or three reviews that were left today alone. And we have a carousel right on the front page that's going to show the latest and, and best reviews right there on the front page. So normally on a on a normal day, you know, we'll have that whole entire banner will be filled with with ten reviews that all came in the day of. So absolutely huge for um, really just trust because. When you see that, you see 10 reviews that came in that day, you know that people are buying off the site. So Yeah, I didn't realize that. I'm looking at it now. I, I see the, the carousel, but I didn't pay too much attention to the date. But yeah, there, there's a bunch from, from today already. Yeah, it's, so it's, it, when you see that, and when I go on a website, it's the first thing I look at is, hey, is it, is it updated? Is it, is it being run? And when you see you know, 10 reviews that came in in the last day or that day, you're like, wow, you know, these guys are... They're doing a great job. They're obviously sending the product out. People are enjoying what they're getting. So huge, huge trust factor right off the bat. We tried a couple of that too. With um, I'm sure you'll see the the shop pops at the bottom of the site that that show in real time when people are buying from our website. So it um, really what's cool about that is it's going to give another. It's going to be social proof. It's going to show that people are on the site. People are buying. It's also going to show them options that they might have missed on the site. So. If something cool pops up, like say you know our our, our protein cookie or protein coffee, something like that, that 
really isn't that well, you know, really highlighted on our site. They're going to say, hey, what's that? They can actually click it, go into it, see what other people are buying. They might end up adding some protein coffee to their cart as well. So that's another really, really cool app that builds trust and also helps build sales as well. And um, wow. yeah, and some some of the others, some of the other apps that have done really well for us, really help us convert, are something like um, like the pop up that you see on it. It's a, it's an app that we, it's actually a free app that we use called Privy, and um, all it is is it's going to pop up, it's going to ask for an email address. And early on in the game, I thought that this was kind of um, you know something that I, I didn't want to do. Um, I thought that it was spammy when when a pop up would come up, but. If you read into it, uh, research it, by not having that, you, it's a huge disadvantage for you. By having that on there, you're collecting emails. It's super, super valuable information that you can go back and, and send out to customers and really drive them back to the site because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's over 90% of people that come to your site are not going to buy. So if you're not collecting or getting some kind of data from them, you're just completely missing out on a huge opportunity. So we brought in the email sign up early on before shark tank and have been able to grow a massive you know, email list because of it. So definitely highly, highly recommend an email list. And and, and you want to also incentivize people to join it as well. So with it, don't just make it uh, super spammy emails that go out. It'll give them some kind of value, give them something that they actually want. Those sales, give them, uh, you know, opportunities to, to maybe buy product before it's even released yet and really give them value out of that list so that they continue to, to stay on it and they don't just unsubscribe. Awesome. So thank you so much, Chris. So iceshaker.com is a website. What would you say needs to happen in 2019 for you to consider this year a success? Man, I, 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 we've already had a great, great year so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some big things coming, and um, I know we were having conversations with with gyms like Life Lifetime Fitness, uh, that looks like we might end up going into to all of them. But really, this year is I think it's more uh, focus on on retail. Uh, I think it will help just generate eyeballs, generate uh, just more exposure to our products. So it's something that we really haven't uh, pushed into because we're doing so well online. Uh, and, and when you do so well online, you kind of push that to the side. You see the high margins and. Uh, you know, it's, it's great. It's awesome. You're able to control everything, but I think you miss out on a lot of exposure and, uh, and another just, uh, you know, social proof as well, or just proof of concept that we're getting asked all the time. Hey, you know, what, what stores are you guys in? A lot of people do like to see the product in hand, just like we were talking about earlier about actually holding the product, seeing the difference between other products on the market. The product at this point, it, it's, it's such a premium product that when people see it in person, it sells and they're actually blown away by the quality of the product. And sometimes it's hard to portray that without having it in their hands. So really trying to push into, uh, into retail. And that's kind of the goal for 2019. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for your time and coming on to share your experience, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.